0: We are going to be in the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 16, so if you'd like to turn there, you can. Um, As we turn there, I mean, just to kind of set the context of where we're going in the Bible today, uh, I was thinking a lot this week about a number of different things that have to do with people's last words or example and then the life that kind of flows out of that, uh, Memorial Day being one of them. Uh, I read online a lot of stories this week about how people just have given their life and th- at the last, sed- last sentence of their life on the battlefield saying things like, you know, be brave and continue on and keep fighting or things like, hey, tell my mom I love them or whatever it may be. I just think, and, and I've even read many stories where legacies and charities and trusts are born out of uh, the examples of uh, people on the battlefield giving their life. And so, like, super thankful for that. Um, also, um, just, I don't know about you, my social media is filled up with high school graduations this week. like... 15, 20 parties that I could have gone to that I missed some. I'm going to have to apologize to some people. I don't know, but um, just many parties. And and one thing I you go to these graduations and there's always a speaker that gives these wise words. Um, and then people are supposed to live their life in that example or the wake of those words. Like I went to the BSU graduation and Dr. Marlene Trump uh, said that her, her whole life was dedicated to her father who was a coal miner. And basically she got where she's is today at this high level of education by really seeing the hard work and the values that he kind of put in and stuff like that so anyway I've just been meditating on all of that and uh, also on some pop culture remembrance things So you guys maybe you know um, this phrase uh, or the movie Iron Man excuse me have you guys seen Iron Man I know this is Marvel movies right but uh, in this movie Uh, Tony Stark who's the main character is in a cave captured and this doctor basically helps him build this suit to get out and as he gets out he's shot the doctor is and then Tony says thank you for saving my life and then he says don't waste it don't waste your life and then one more one more word of remembrance and that is uh, in I I don't put it up there yet I want to see if you can actually finish this sentence for me with great power comes Man, you guys are great. Good job. Um, And that is from, of course, Spider-Man, where Uncle Ben told that to Peter Parker before he died, of course. And so, anyway, just thinking about this whole thing, this whole theme this week of last words and then a life lived out in legacy to that. And that's kind of where we're going with the end of the Gospel of Mark, actually. We're going to see the last words of Jesus today today and then what he actually tells us to live our lives in remembrance for, okay? And so that's where we're going to, if you pick up in chapter 16, verse 9, I'm going to start reading. I'm going to read this section for you. Um, And really, I want you to hear this as that, as the last words of Jesus. Here it says, this in the context, it says in verse 9. Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, with whom he had cast out seven demons. And she went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, and they would not believe it. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. And then afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves, and they were reclining at table. And he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, "'Go into all the world "'and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. "'Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, "'but whoever does not believe will be condemned, "'and these signs will accompany those who believe. "'In my name they will cast out demons, They will speak in new tongues, they will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. And so then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. So this is the final bit in the Gospel of Mark. We've been doing this series, I can't remember how long, but for a long time, called The Way of the Lord Through the Gospel of Mark. Um, I don't know how this happened, but I actually got to close out our Sermon on the Mount series. I got to close out the Ecclesiastes series, and now I get to close out Mark. I don't know why I'm not a good closer, but I'll try. So uh, nonetheless, uh, we are at this last part of The Way of the Lord. Um, and and really, this Story. This this idea from the Gospel of Mark that we're finishing with um, kind of makes me think about all this stuff we've been talking about, like uh, all the graduation ceremonies, all the things going on. Life. I don't know. Life is so busy. Um, I, this week, have had some house projects going on, crazy stuff, roofing, balconies, things like that happening, and just dealing with contractors. Um, A good thing happened, my wife, or not my wife, my daughter got engaged, which was praise to God, so that was awesome, Um, and let me be clear, that's a good thing, okay? I'm super happy about that, Um, but what I've been realizing this week is that in the midst of bad things, but also really good things, it's so easy in life to kind of get distracted um, from maybe even what Jesus is trying to tell us here in this passage. And I think this passage itself is an illustration of that because in the passage, maybe you're distracted already because we read and you're thinking things like poisonous snakes drinking poison, or not poison snakes, snakes drinking poison. You're thinking like, some of you know, should this passage even be in the Bible, right? And so this passage itself, while we want to look at the words of Jesus and the last things that he tells us as our high king, could distract us in and of itself. And so let me deal, if I could, for just a minute with the main distraction. If you didn't know, in your Bible, there are some brackets in the ESV and other translations. And and they say that in some manuscripts, verses 9 to 20 are not there. Okay, so maybe you're thinking, should you even be preaching from this passage this morning? Okay, so listen. Listen. There is much scholarly work on this. Please, I have like two minutes to try to explain. Go to John Whitaker's listener's commentary. It's a great little recap of this um, or just look at many other resources online. But here's what I'll tell you. It comes down to essentially this. The two most ancient Greek manuscripts, copies of the autographs that we have, the Sinaiticus and the Vaticanus, they do not have this in there. However, throughout the Early church history, there are Christians who believed that this was original to Mark, and there were Christians who did not believe. And they, there's thousands of other manuscripts that have this in there. Most scholarly consent today is that perhaps this was not original to Mark, but we're not sure still. And the early church fathers who commented on this passage were themselves split. I could give you the names, but there's names like Irenaeus and all these people that were split on the subject to one degree or the other. Here's the point. Some people say, well, wait, are you telling me that Christians added to the Bible that I'm reading? Or skeptics would say, see, look, this is your Bible. Men change it. Well, let me explain. First of all, it's the opposite in my opinion. Christians here are showing our work. We're saying, look, from the earliest Christian days in the oral tradition right after Jesus, there's been dispute about this account, and we're going to actually show you up front. So... In op- contrary to the belief that Christians try to hide evidence that the Bible's not true, the Bible's not real. We're saying there's two places, John chapter uh, 7, 8, and then here in Mark that we're just, there's some debate about, okay? We're being honest about that. But here's the good news. Everything that's in this passage that we just read is in the other gospel accounts. So Regardless of whether Christians accept this as the verified ending of Mark or whether Christians think that this should not be in the ending of Mark and it should end with verse 8, all that I'm going to tell you today is true according to the word of God and the other passages that are affirmed in Luke and John and Matthew. And so that's where I want to get this morning. I hope I dealt with that a little bit. There's so much more. I mean, I saw this week on YouTube an atheist saying like, hey, since this is in Mark, why don't you drink poison, Christians, if you think that this is true? So they've taken the passage that way or other people challenging the veracity of the Bible this way. So plenty of information for you guys online, but just to say that this is Bible truth in my opinion, whether or not this was Mark's original Autograph, so to speak. So, anyway, where I want to get to really in this passage today centers around one verse. While there were two competing versions of the Gospel of Mark in the early days of the church, um, uh, what we do know is that this corresponds. Uh, with the gospel accounts in Matthew, Luke, and, and John. And in verse 15, we have the center of this passage, which is the last words of Jesus. And he says very simply, go proclaim the gospel to all creation. And that's really what we're gonna talk about today. That last word of Jesus and how we live in remembrance of it. Jesus tells us to go, proclaim, remember me. Go, proclaim, remember. And, and this is what it's all about. Even this section, which I won't cover in verses 9 to 14, where we have these accounts of Mary Magdalene, verse 9 to 10, who Jesus cast seven demons out of. Great testimony, by the way. Um, She is accounted for in John 20, 11 to 18. Then in verse 12, we have the road to Emmaus. That's Luke 24, 13 to 35. And then in verse 14, Jesus appears to all the disciples, which accounts to John 20, 19 to 23. And all of this just serves to say one thing. By the testimony of two or three witnesses, Jesus rose from the dead. He's alive. He was Jesus Christ of Nazareth and now he's Jesus the Christ, the high king of heaven. He's no longer dead. He's risen from the dead. And it's testified by multiple gospel accounts and multiple people. And Paul would go on to say in 1 Corinthians by hundreds of people seeing him in a, you know at one time. And so really that's that first part, just a testimony of the risen Christ. Now let's get to the words of Christ. that. We hopefully, my prayer is, we've heard them many times, but can be spurred on to love and good works, spurred on to actually do what our King is telling us here today to go and proclaim the gospel to all of creation. Like I said, you could compare this. Directly with Matthew 28. I'm going to read that version for us so we get that too. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So Mark emphasized go preach, go proclaim. Matthew emphasizes, go baptize, go teach, go make disciples, but in both accounts, they're saying the first word, I think you noticed it, simply, go. That's what he says first, both both accounts start with that, And, and you have to just consider the context here for a minute, that to the Jewish hearers of Jesus, they wouldn't have thought of their faith quite this way, and this was the struggle we've seen throughout the entire Gospel of Mark, right? When Jesus said to the Pharisees, like, you do all this stuff and you, you don't like to go to the outer courts to the temple, but then I'm telling you something completely different. Jesus was for the nations. He was for the nations to come into the temple as a house of prayer. The Jews wanted a colloquial national ethnic religion where that they could be uh, hidden behind those walls. And right here, Jesus is saying, no, I'm going to affirm this one last time. And this is good for us to hear as well. The gospel is not just about us coming together and being in a safe space. Now, I know some of us, including myself, have moved either to Boise or back to Boise uh, in the last uh, five years because we've thought it's such a paradise, right? At least I do, anyway. I don't know if you do, but I love Boise. And part of that, for some, seems to be the notion that let's get to a place where Christianity's safe. Well, I want to dispel that, first of all, and say, Christianity's not safe anywhere. Um, And secondarily, that Jesus in this word has set a foundation point for us all to say like, go, not stay, go. This is the command, not a suggestion by Jesus, not to waste your life. Because staying in life is how you waste your life. Think about the hours upon hours upon hours upon hours of time that you stay in your house on media. Stay in your place where you're comfortable and nothing ever changes. You know, in one way, it's not even the life we really want. We have this feeling deep down inside of us. We are called to something more and to an adventure. And I love this about Jesus. He's our king and he loves us so much that he says, I'm going to tell you something you need to hear. You need to go. Now, I am gonna try to illustrate the necessity of this for us as Christians um, a little bit by stealing some statistics from the Exiles in Babylon Conference from a guy named Kevin Kim. Great message, it's free online right now, you can listen to it, but I'm just gonna steal these statistics and share with you. So just, we'll put some numbers up on the screen. First one is three numbers, 330 million, 210 million, 120 million, that's 330 million people that live in the U.S., 210 million people that say I'm a Christian, and then 120 million who say they're religiously unaffiliated, okay, just just think about those numbers, think about our country, think about those numbers, the second slide, 330,000. 186 and 75. 330,000 churches in the U.S. today. 186 is the average attendance of those churches and 75 is the median size of those churches. Okay, and then the last number I'll put up here is 117 million. And that is 117 million people say that they attend church on a regular basis. Okay, so if you go back to the 300 excuse me, the 210 million people that say they're a Christian and 117 million say that they attend church on a regular basis, that's a 93 million people who say they're Christians but aren't active in the local body of Christ. So first of all, they're not even on the bench, they're just like in another field somewhere else. Kevin went on to share some more statistics like 4,000 churches get planted every year, but 3,700 shut down every year, which is a net gain of 300. When stats show that we need a net gain of 3,700 churches planted just to keep up with population growth. This is why we should be excited, by the way, about this revitalization of Trinity that we're a part of. It's a wonderful opportunity to not let a church shut down. But really, here's the idea. And what I'm trying to get and press on us a little bit as we sit here in this sanctuary this morning is we can even feel sometimes like it's a a bigger gathering, right? If we took this gathering and went out to a field somewhere, we'd feel small really quick. We should try that sometime. And here's the reality. In a big world with lots of need and lots of people, Christians are commanded to go into the world. Every single one of us, and I'll come back to that later. And this going is not just like, hey, go on a mission trip, go and serve at an event, go and love somebody one time in your neighborhood. You did that, that was really hard that one time, but you did it. You know, it's more than that. Actually, most scholars say that when Jesus said go, the idea here is as you're going. And it's an identity that he's calling us to, to say your entire life is to be a going lifestyle, not a staying lifestyle. Think about in Israel, the Dead Sea. some of us went to, I didn't go, but some of you went to Israel. Um, And what you notice is the water flows in. And then of course, as a classic example, it doesn't flow out and it dies. And so it is, Jesus is setting us up to say, go. The way of the Lord is not static. It's not cloistered. It's not comfortable. And maybe already this is a challenge to us. I know it's challenging to me as I talk it myself. I want so badly to be comfortable in life. But Jesus is setting this foundation stone to say, that's not my way. That's not what I do if you want to follow me. So, and to... Think about this more, think about what it even means to go. Okay, Who has uh, done a family vacation ever? Joyous times of course, never any problems I'm sure. Um, But I actually do really enjoy family vacations. I don't really like the process of building up to plan and get everything, you know, like packing the van and I mean just crazy stuff that has gone on I think in my life anyway with uh, just trying to go on vacation or try to go camping. We are going on a mission trip this summer, um, myself and Connor, our college pastor with 15 college-age, post-college people, and it's amazing. I'm super excited, but I've also realized, like, there's so much. I haven't done a short-term trip because I was a long-term missionary. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so much to do here, so much to plan, so much to organize, so much to pray about, so much to trust God in, and just uh, so much, just to go, But that's because it's uncomfortable. It's a disruption to my regular life. But maybe the problem is, in the first place, that all this planning, money, et cetera, that it takes to happen, it's, it should be a part of my regular life all the time. Um, I, I do this when I teach our community groups as the leaders and, and train them. I say, you know, really, every single one of our community groups should be an outpost. For people to do the mission of God. Um, think about this. How many of you guys have been on a mission trip? Anyone? Bueller, anyone? Yep, you guys have been, right? So you know that when you're on a mission trip, most people say it's one of the greatest experiences of spiritual growth in my life. That's because you've got to be with people 24-7. you got to get over the annoyances. You've got to forgive. You've got to deal with people they are different than you in personality, ethnicity, race, whatever it is. You've got to be unified in one goal, one purpose Right, You have all this going on, and what happens is a beautiful storm of trusting in Christ and following him, and it's wonderful. But then we come home. It's like, oh, that was good. I did it. But now think, if you were going to take your community group and move to Spain... What would you do? Well, Spain is pretty great, first of all, isn't it? I mean, come on, I'd, I'd like to move to Spain. But let's just say, move to Spain, what would you do? You'd have to learn the culture, learn their movies and their television, and you'd have to learn their language, and you'd have to get the rhythms of life and their cultural celebrations. You'd have to do all this, and it would take a lot of work, and everyone would be learning and growing and unified. And what I'm saying that Jesus is saying right here, right now, is that that's normal life we are all on a short-term, long-term mission trip all the time. That is what Jesus is saying when he says, go. And notice, it's to the disciples, it's in community, it's not me-centric, we do it together, we're a city set on the hill together, it's the people of God, not just some random buckshot mercenary messengers who just do their own kind of mission. So that's the first thing, we gotta go. Jesus said, "Our king said, to follow me, go." The only two constants in life, I believe, should be the gospel and change, but we fight against that so bad. Uh, secondarily, he says to proclaim, we proclaim. So we go, we proclaim." Um, if I asked you guys to tell me the gospel like in two minutes. How many feel like they'd be really able to articulate the gospel in a way that would be good for the hearers of those that you're trying to communicate with? Maybe all of us, I hope so. But many times we go with the message and our message is less than the gospel. And so the first thing we have to say when we say God has called us, Jesus has called us as our king to go and proclaim the gospel, we have to say, What is the gospel? And this is where I want to settle in for a second and just really remind you of some things. I call it indicatives before imperatives, like know who you are before you do what you need to do, okay? And so really, um, turn to Ephesians 1, if you would. I want to read something to you because uh, I believe the gospel speaks to our past, our present, our future. It speaks to who we are, but it's even bigger than that, and it's all about God, I, I think like right now you might be feeling pressure like, gosh, this guy is intense. He's telling me, go, 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 go. But really what I want to tell you first is that, remind you, Jesus came and who God is. Let's, let's look at this. You've got to know the gospel before you can proclaim the gospel. Ephesians 1 verse 3. Just let this come over you as God's word. who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. What are the key words there? Him, he, his. This is the truth of the gospel. We live in a frantic world that wants to pursue our own mission and try to prove ourselves and get something done before God. And what I'm not saying to you this morning is, hey, go prove yourself to King Jesus. I'm saying, He gave you everything. This God, He gave you an identity that He chose you. Maybe no one ever chose you before, Jesus did. He brought you into his family when you felt solitary and alone. That's what he did through what Jesus did on the cross. He gives you spiritual life and blessings and power inside of you through the Holy Spirit. You know you belong to him. That's him. All of this work is all to his glory because he started it. He's going to finish it. And this is the truth of the Christian life. So, I don't want us to feel guilt to go. I just want us to feel the weight of the king's command and say, like, why would we do this? Because of everything he's done for us. He's given you your life. He's given you redemption, forgiveness, and no shame. Don't you want to give all to him? And you've experienced... The other part of the gospel, that Jesus is king. He's transformed your life. You know it's good. You see the brokenness in the world. If you're here and you're not yet a Christian, you feel the brokenness in your life and you see it all around. That's the result of us being king of our own life. The gospel is Jesus is king. And so uh, I'll illustrate this, this way that, you know, When we proclaim, we're supposed to go and proclaim this good news message that there's a king and that he's done all this stuff for those that would believe in him. That's all, just trust and believe. And that's why we proclaim. That's why, like uh, a famous quote, it says this, and I want to get to the, the part of proclaiming. It says, I'm sure you've heard it before, preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. I kind of don't like that. Okay, I like it and don't like it. So I would say preach the gospel at all times. Use words whenever possible, okay? Based on uh, Romans 1.16 that says the gospel is the, the the power of God to salvation. I will get to that in a second. But I would say if Jesus really is king, there should be a proclamation in our lives that is causing transformation where people can see and you don't have to tell them. 1 Peter 3.15, they say, hey, what is that hope in you? And so the reality is, yes, we do need to preach the gospel through our lives first. Um we were talking as a teaching team this week. John Whitaker, who's preached here many times, um, he shared this with, I couldn't believe it. He said, I had a horrible, murderous temper before I became a Christian. I mean, if you've met John, you're just thinking, that's ridiculous. Um, he said so much that his sister thought that he would murder somebody someday. I mean, that's a serious temper, right? So, uh, We both, Tucker and I, were just sat there in shock. Like, John, we just can't imagine you being that angry. But what's happened as he submitted his life to King Jesus, and if you know him, you know his kids, and you know his grandkids, and already there's this line of patient, peaceful, loving, beautiful people. Because our lives are transformed by Jesus. We do proclaim with our lives, of course, but we proclaim with our words. We proclaim with our words, and this is important. I would be wrong, and I think that there has been, of course, many good movements of reminding us of how our lives need to look, how we need to be together as a church, but the reality is we proclaim with our words because that's where the power is. In fact, the early church, we don't really know how exactly the gospel spread so quickly, but there are theories. One historian said it this way. The great mission of Christianity was in reality accomplished by means of informal missionaries. Not formal preaching, but informal chattering to friends and chance acquaintances in homes, in wine shops, on walks, and around market stalls. They went everywhere gossiping the gospel. I love that. I hate gossip. You know, I've done it. I'm bad too, but I mean, I hate it. It's really frustrating thing in life to me. I just don't like when I hear people talking about somebody and just slandering them, talking. But hey, this is great. Gossip the gospel. Maybe instead of talking bad about people, talk good about Jesus all the time, everywhere you go. Also want to big up on uh, Tucker a little bit this week. He we was sharing a story. He was at the, and this would illustrate how I think going, and as you go, going would happen. Uh, he was at the soccer center here in town, and he plays there every week. I guess there was a little bit of a conflict, and a guy hit him in the back of the head. I see one person laughing who maybe knows this, um, and someone hit him in the back of the head, and so he just said, okay, whatever, walked off. The manager comes and says, hey, what do you want me to do about that? I loved his response. He said, Give him mercy and grace like the Father in heaven gives us. And I was just like, dude, that is, <laughs> in the field of competition in sports, that is a spirit wrought answer. <laughs> um And then he, the guy's like, that's amazing. Let me bring you to my workers. And he said, tell them what you just told me. And told them, and one of the guys like, boo, we should, you know, we should kill this guy. Um <laughs> Basically, I just thought, That is the greatest example recently I've heard of just someone where the gospel just oozes out of them and shares from in real life situation. You know, the majority, and what Michael Green is saying and the majority of the reality is people are not going to come to Christ through coming to a sanctuary in a place like this. They do and they will, but in big numbers, through hearing a preacher like me, they're gonna come through The body of Christ gossiping the gospel everywhere we go. So, lastly, um, we go, we proclaim with our lives, our words, and then we remember. Look at verse 19. I want to talk about this for a moment. It says, so then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. I'm just going to mention this because as we go, as we proclaim, we need to remember all the time that the power lies in Jesus. This is the ascended king taking his throne, the fruit of the resurrection. And all of the power that you would have, and in both accounts, it says Jesus was with them accomplishing all these things, or in Matthew that he says, I'll go with you and I'll be with you. If you are scared, if you are nervous, if you want to stay comfortable, if you feel like you can't do this, I wanna tell you, it's not what you can do. You have the resurrection power of God the same power that rose Jesus from the dead in you, that is the truth, okay? 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, based on the resurrection, he's saying, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Paul is saying with great power comes great responsibility, He's given you the power of the resurrection. He's given us that power. Um, And to, again, steal from Kevin Kim's talk, I'll say this. He quoted a guy named Gary Hamill. I wanna bring it back to us. He said, I have never seen more untapped, latent, wasted potential than what's sitting in every pew and every church every week in America. I wanna throw that number back up again, that 117 million number and Kevin closed his talk and he said, what if the 117 million got out of the pews and into the game? That's exciting. Listen, I can't do anything to cause you to be spurred and provoked and, and empowered to want to be in the game. But if you hear King Jesus' commanding language out of love because he knows what's best for you today, if you hear this reality that Jesus will go with you, that He's already living inside of you, He's already given you the power, so that when you're weak and when you come into this sanctuary week by week and you've got a, a limp leg or a broken arm or your face has been slapped, metaphorically speaking, in the battle of life as you carry forth the mission of the gospel, you know you come here to gather so that you can get healed up, so that you can scatter. That's the idea. My prayer is that we can truly know that we have this power of the Holy Spirit to walk in the resurrected life of Christ, the way of the Lord as missionaries in this culture and truly not be those who are cloistered and comfortable and static and fearing what's happening all around us. The early church and the environment around it was much worse. I'm telling you that. Read some Roman history. Finally, um, I want to tell you guys here's the really good news about if you, I pray, would join in God's mission, in whatever way the Lord leads, I'm going to give you some specific ways, but here's the great news: Philippians 1:20. Paul says, "As it's my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed at all, but with full courage." Now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says in that passage as well, I know there's gonna be fruit. Here's the truth. If you, imperfectly, increasingly, in obedience, in love to your king, will grow in proclaiming with your life and with the message of the gospel, I guarantee you people will come to Christ people will be discipled and your life will not be in vain and you will have eternal impact all around you because God's word says it, not because I say it. I've experienced it in Italy, in England, in Romania, in the Middle East. I've seen God's word do what it says it will do on the tin, as they say in England. It it does its job because it is true. And so I want to call you guys to a hopeful life of adventure and trusting God the fruit might be tenfold, twentyfold, 20-fold, 30-fold, 100fold, I don't know, but there will be effect. We often don't join the mission because we think, what difference am I going to make? A massive difference. Even if it's a little difference, training your child at home to be the next generation missionary, teaching them the gospel, seeing their hearts won. Whatever it is. So as you continue in the text, I'll close up here in a, in a minute. It says that they went everywhere and preached everywhere where the Lord confirmed with these signs. So again, there's all the snake stuff, the weird stuff. Um, Basically, it's all the book of Acts after that. The gospel does what it says it would do in the book of Acts. And then finally, I want to finish with giving you guys some concrete things that we as a church can do. Once we know we don't have to do anything because Christ loves us, once we're doing this out of good news gospel hearts, A lot of times when you hear a Great Commission message, it's like it fires you up or at least makes you think about it. And then you're like, yeah, yeah, I should do that. And then you go home, and what happens? Like, yeah, put that on for a little while more, you know. So I want to give you some concrete ways. When we started this series, we had these Gospels of Mark. I don't know if you remember that, right? The very first week, we bought a bunch of these, and we said, hey, while we're studying this, take this and go read it and give it out to somebody else. We just bought some more. Last week in the series, there's a bunch on the Welcome Center. I'm saying, I'm being a little more directive. Uh, It's not from Jesus, but it's from me. I'm saying, please go take one, find somebody, pray, be spirit led, and see who you can share the gospel with and talk to them about the gospel of Mark. Second, Uh, We're going to have a local outreach meeting coming up soon. We would love to get all of you guys, whoever wants to, be in a room, bring some ideas. How can we be on mission together as a church? You might be the missing piece with an idea that would help us crack into a new community in God's love and grace. I'm going to mention that part of that is we call you guys to Calvary Communities every week. And I will say this, I have not done the best job even in our community group, but we want them to be little outposts in neighborhoods where we're not just doing Bible study and care for each other, but where we're thinking, how can we reach the people around us? So join a community, take this message, say we've got to reach some people by God's grace. A um, couple opportunities on June 10th, um, uh, Boise World Tour. Matt Keller does this often. He takes people around to the refugee community markets. It's a great time. Bring 20 bucks, get some food, and actually go meet your neighbors that are actually all around us and get uncomfortable by meeting different cultures if you're, if you're uncomfortable with that. On the same day, June 10th, there's a homeless outreach Chris Smith is doing. Go and give food and clothes and good news to people. There's the VBS. Many kids came to Christ last year. Volunteer. Go to the volunteer meeting. Be a part of that. See what God does. Finally, uh, get involved in missions. We've got summer trips to Oaxaca, to Europe, to uh, the Bay Area, They're filled up now, but you can pray, you can get involved, know what's going on. You know, you can support if you want to. You can get involved in mission trips next year. You can come on this Wednesday night. We're gonna talk about missions. We'll have burgers and brats, brats, sorry about that, brats out there. And, And you can invite people who don't yet know Jesus. We'll have the barbecue, come in here. We'll talk about missions. They might not know what we're talking about, but we're gonna talk about it anyway. But they'll at least be with the family. We'll have a big party, right? So here's the idea. I did not mean this to be just a series of like announcements because no one likes announcements usually. But what I do mean them to be is concrete hooks for you to say, I'm going to take a baby step. I'm going to get in the game with that. And make a decision as the body, the 117 million in the pews and say, let's go. Let's proclaim Let's remember the power we have in Christ. And so it might not be any of those things. You might be doing something different. Praise God if you're in the game. So as we um, leave our series in the way of the Lord, we're not leaving the way of the Lord. We're going to keep walking it. We're going to keep going by God's grace. And if... You are here, you're not yet a Christian. We proclaim to you the good news of the gospel. We're gonna take communion and it recognizes the body and the bread. The body is the bread of Jesus. The the cup is the blood of Jesus and that stands for how he died on the cross for our sins. How he then took his blood and shed it and that washed us clean. And so maybe through this whole talk, you're, you're just living a life that doesn't have mission, doesn't have purpose, We read all that in Ephesians. God takes people like you and he brings them in and says, be part of this. It's amazing. It's hard. It's difficult. But there's nothing like it. And for us as Christians, as we take that communion, let's say, Lord, forgive me. I've been distracted. I know I'm repenting of that this week. I've been distracted from the mission. I want to follow you. I want to go. I want to proclaim. I want to remember this power you've given me.